Hey, you may notice, I'm probably not going to use the microphone, you may notice that things look a little different today, a little scaled back, a little different. If you went to drop your kids off, you'll probably notice the pipe and drape jungle was not in there today. Um, it's been an interesting week for the Origins family. Uh, we are an entirely mobile church, which means that we set up teardown every single week, and a lot of you are a part of that. Uh, but our entire equipment trailer was stolen on Wednesday night. And so basically, every 97% of what we own uh, was stolen. And so all of our kids set up, all of our sound equipment, all of that stuff is gone. Um, and it has not, not been returned yet. We're praying for the conviction of the Holy Spirit that they may back it back into the spot, buy a new chain, chain it up for us, leave the keys, do all that kind of stuff. But if that doesn't happen, we're going to be okay. It's been a great reminder this week of a couple things. Um, by the way, my name is Matthew, if I don't know you. I see a few faces. I have no idea who you are. Glad you're here. Um, it reminds us of a couple things. Number one, all of this is God's anyway. The money, the stuff. And so we, we really haven't been concerned in that regard. Like, it's just, it's just stuff. And so it's also a great reminder that the church is not a building. The church is not an occurrence. It's not a date on a calendar. It's a group of people that God has redeemed by grace through faith. And as a result, uh, no matter what's stolen, that can't be. And so we're super grateful for that. We're also super grateful for a faith family uh, that we really didn't think would be that many would be here today, given July the 3rd. We're grateful for this many faces today. Um, we're grateful for a faith family that understands. And we know that as soon as we announce this, we know that even having your elementary age kids in here today, while it's not ideal, uh, you're going to be good with it. So thank you for that. Um, in the process, uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks, we are repurchasing stuff. Uh, we're dealing with insurance. Like if anybody has questions about insurance, hey, uh, you know about what we know. Uh, we filed a claim. We filed a police report. We're waiting to hear about all of that. But in the meantime, as a result of the faithfulness of givers over the past several years, even through COVID, God's been incredibly generous with us. And so we have the ability to, to reach in and rebuy what we need to. Um, and so we're going to do that and trust that insurance is going to pay us back with whatever they can in the meantime. And so give us a little grace over the next few weeks. Uh, some stuff we will have to order and it will have to be made like pipe and drape jungle for kids. Like, you know, we can't just get that here tomorrow through Amazon Prime. And so bear with us. But as we get it, we'll use it. And, uh, and we will continue just to, to do what we've been called to do in this city for God's glory, for those who don't know Jesus yet, and for those who do. And so just bear with us. So we're grateful that you guys are here today. Happy July 4th tomorrow. I hope you eat and blow stuff up in the name of July the 4th, uh, but maybe not in that order. I don't know. It just depends. Um, but we hope you have a great day uh, tomorrow, and thank you for being here today. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then my wife is going to come up and talk to us about a couple things, and I'll tell you what that is in just one second. So let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you today that uh, you are bigger than four walls or 12 walls like this space. You're bigger than equipment. Uh, you're bigger than, than all of those things, and God, as a result of that, your glory um, rules over all. And so we're grateful that we can worship you. We're grateful that we can proclaim your name. We're grateful that you have counted us worthy um, to just, just utter your name through song and through your word uh, and even through intent. And, Father, today we pray that you're glorified by our thoughts, our intents, and our actions. Uh, we pray for worship today, that we can just worship you for who you are. Um, even if you didn't do a single other thing for us for the rest of our lives, God, you're still incredibly, entirely thoroughly worthy, and we thank you for that. And God, as we open your word, we pray that it's faithful uh, to make us look more and more like your son. Uh, thank you for being king of kings. Thank you for being our Lord. Thank you for the spirit that seals our salvation and directs us uh, to follow you more and more every day that we're alive. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So our church uh, partners with Food for the Hungry 
to uh, support a village in Guatemala. It's Cacapec, and so that's how they pronounce it, not how we do. We, we tear it up every single time. Um, and we couldn't go uh, since 2019 as a result of this little thing called COVID and all that stuff, but we are getting to go back in March of 23, and, and our partnership still exists. And my wife kind of runs all of that. She knows way more than I do. And so she's going to come up and give us a little update on what's going on, show us a little video, keep it interactive. And so uh, you just, uh, yeah, listen to her and not me. Thank you, guys. to give food to the community. 
um, and that's how they are currently using it until until they get um, it fully functioning. Um, so um, we also uh, a part of our partnership with the village is uh, that they really struggle with malnutrition. So we help um, with education in uh, maternity and infant uh, nutrition, and even through toddlers. Um, you know, they live on on rice and, and very little food. Um, and so teaching them how to farm and, and what good nutrition is and, and how mothers can nurse their babies and how that's good nutrition for them. And so um, that's a lot of the, the education that we are working on with them. Um, and through buildings, um, their next goal in, in the community is um, to put a roof on, they have a, like a multi-sport facility, so put a roof on that. They would like to build a new school. Um, so those are some things that they're working on, and um, and that's how we can continue to be involved with them and help them improve their community. Um, and we do have a, it's a 10-year partnership with them so that there is an end. We don't just go on forever and ever, um, but there's they set goals. And when we went in November, um, they had this whole presentation of, um, they write it out on paper and um, of, of all their goals. They of either it's building or education or farming or water, whatever it is, um, because they want to let us know that they are working hard in um, improving their community and and, um, and they appreciate our partnership so much. Um, and when we went in November too, like if you sponsor child raising. Um, and I know there's many more, there's about 30 of us. Um, and so when we went in November, like these children are from our village. And so we went and we uh, bought them groceries the week, the weekend before. And so we hiked the beautiful mountains there and took them some groceries to their families. And we were able to meet their brothers and their sisters and their parents and their grandparents and aunts, you know, anybody who was there and they welcomed us into their home and uh, showed us like the letters that we had written to them and, you know, that how we've been praying for them over the past year or so. Um, and so that was a very special time just to meet them, to pray over their families and to continue building that relationship. Um, and so today I have, um, I know a lot of you are, have asked about how you can sponsor a child. So they are back on the back table. Um, there is a, a little uh, expiration date on these packets, but don't pay attention to that. They have pushed them on through August for us. But, um, but you can take a look at those. And on the back, um, it tells them, it says, you know, what their favorite subject 
everybody's in trouble. So uh, today, I'm going to try to keep it, well, I shouldn't even make that claim, because when I try to say that we're going to try to keep it brief for the kids' sake, things just go awry. So I'm going to do the best that I can. And uh, we're going to look at a small passage in Mark. Uh, we are still there. Um, today kind of marks, at least for the, the breadth of the book of Mark, we're like at the halfway point, which is, which is pretty good, considering we started in early October. Um, it will be our longest series to date, and we're good with that, so we're just going to continue, continue walking through. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 8 today, um, verse 22. We're going to start there and just look at about four verses there in just a minute. But to kind of remind us where we were, uh, last week we covered a large section from the second feeding of the multitude to Jesus warning about the leaven or the, um, of the Pharisees and of Herod. And then also there was a time in which Jesus was with the disciples and they were arguing about how they were going to eat. Like on the tail of being fed with the, with the multitude the second time when Jesus just took a little and made a lot. They were concerned because they were on a boat and there was only one loaf of bread. And they're like, what are we going to do? And Jesus kind of ended that conversation with like, do you still not understand? And that's where that passage ended. And it's a great way to transition. Like Mark didn't write this by accident. He didn't include the order that he did by accident. But it's such a great place. And like, I want us to think on that question, the, the environment that the disciples were in, in that moment. They were in a boat again. They were hungry. <clears throat> they started to argue. And Jesus' final question to them was like, do you still not get it? Are you still without understanding? And so today we're in verse 22. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read through these four or five verses, kind of talk through what they look like, and just give us a little bit of uh, parting thoughts as to what we need to do with it. So let's pray together. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for time today. Um, thank you that throughout the course of our week, um, while this time is not necessarily more holy than anything else, it is set apart, and it's unique. It's a time that we can gather with uh, our entire church family, um, whenever they're in town on a holiday weekend. And God, we can just rally around your glory and your word. Uh, Father, you can use this to make us look more like Jesus, but you can also make us, make us look more like the church in this city that you desire us to be for your glory, uh, for the benefit of those who know you and those who do not yet know you. And God, we thank you for that. Thank you that your word is trustworthy. Um, God, thank you that we can look at it as an authority on how we should then live our lives um, in respect to who you are and who you've made us to be. And God, I pray that we look at it well today. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so chapter 8, verse 22. says, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. When he, uh, and when he had spit on his eyes and laid hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on him again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. I think I read this passage, and the very first thing that I think about is over the past couple months, I had LASIK. Um, and like I've always been this guy that I've had to wear quite strong glasses or contacts in order to see anything. Like If I would have been born in the Dark Ages, I would have died in the very first battle because there's no way that I would have seen what was coming. I would have just been dead. Survival of the fittest, that wouldn't have been me. And so had LASIK done over the past couple months, been waiting to do it for several years, and they did LASIK on this side, but this side they had to do something else called PRK, which it takes a little bit longer to recover. A lot of pain, like I woke up the next day, I felt like I had an acid bath. It was great, really a lot of fun. Didn't prepare you for that at all. And so this eye, I woke up and I was like 2015. Like very next day, I'm like, man, that's amazing. That's like miraculous. That's like, you know, water into wine. That's like stretch out your hand. I mean, pretty miraculous. 
except it occurred at the hands of a laser. But either way, this eye, not like that. Like this eye I woke up, this one was so good, and then he asked me about this one, I'm like, man, I can't see anything. It's like, I see people, but they look like trees. Similar idea, like it was just blurry. And I read this passage, and I'm like, I can, I can somewhat identify with this guy, even though I wasn't completely blind. Like, you know, legally and functionally, uh, if you caught me without my glasses or my contacts, pretty blind. I mean, I didn't see trees, I saw clumps of green. I didn't see people, I just saw, you know, kind of mumbling, mumbling shapes. And so after LASIK, like, you know, it, it, it is pretty miraculous. This is not a paid advertisement for that. I'm not, not saying do it, but, you know, if you want to, we'll be glad to discuss the ins and outs. But either way, I read this passage, and that's what I think about. Uh, but also, I read this passage, too, because when we go through it, there is kind of a camel in the room as far as a question about this passage. I would say elephant, but I thought camel was more relative. Anyway, um, there is kind of that question that, that's in there. We'll get to that in one minute. But just to kind of recap... Um, they leave kind of mostly Gentile territory at some point between the last passage and this one, probably while they're on the boat, that's where they're going, in which Jesus left them with that parting question of, do you not yet understand? Because they were arguing about the bread, they had the bread with them, and then they had like the spiritual bread with them, they, they didn't understand. And then we find them land in Bethsaida, or Bethsaida, which is kind of on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, back in Jewish territory, fishing village, uh, probably the same site that the feeding of the first multitude take pl took place. And so, you know, not an unknown place. You know, people were there. They had seen what Jesus had done. They had heard what Jesus had done. Uh, they were pretty familiar with this carpenter uh, that had gone around, spoke with authority that he shouldn't have, done things that he shouldn't be able to do, and just, you know, he had silenced the Pharisees on multiple occasions. He had made them mad on multiple occasions. Just not a normal guy. They were in that place. And so we find them land there, and... Um, we see something happening again that we've seen a couple times already. We see that they, whoever they are, bring a guy, bring a person. And the reason they bring a person is because this person has an issue that they can't fix and apparently no one else can fix. And he's blind, like he is without sight. And we'll see with the rest of this passage, probably not a man born blind. He was someone that went blind later. But either way, like they bring this guy uh, and they, they do a couple things. Number one, they bring him directly to Jesus. That's important. And number two, they bring him to Jesus and they, they actually implore or ask earnestly, or the word that we see is beg. They're like, please, just, just touch him. Just touch him. They don't even ask for healing necessarily. They just ask for the touch of Jesus, which is, man, that's such a telling thing to say at this point in Jesus' ministry. Like they knew just the touch of Jesus was, was good enough to fix the infirmity that their friend, this guy, had. Like we even go back and we look and we'll talk about it in a second. Like there are people that touched Jesus and Jesus didn't even touch them. They touched just the hem of his garment, the dirty part of his robe, and they were healed. And so amazing things were happening at the hand of this Jesus, this Jesus that we need so desperately. So this, this group of people, they bring this guy, they pray, they, they, they bring him, they're like, please, just, just touch our friend. And so pretty neat. Um, and like a side sermon on this, like if we did have like a side sermonette, same thing that we talked about a couple of weeks ago uh, when we had the deaf man that couldn't speak very well and he was mute. He was brought as a result of friends that cared about him enough to get him to Jesus. And so it does beg the question, like, who are we praying for? Who are we bringing to Jesus? And are we believing in the name of Jesus on their behalf? So anyway, side sermon, but we'll move on. And so the very first thing that we see Jesus do, he's in this fishing village in Bethsaida, and he leads him out of the village. You know, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but, you know, and not, not kind of inconsequential. There was spit involved in that story, too. Uh, but he led the man out that couldn't hear and that couldn't speak very clearly. He led him away from the crowd, and then he used spit, and he, he touched his tongue, put his fingers in his ear, did that, looked up to heaven, and the guy could speak, the guy could hear. It was pretty amazing. But anyway, in this place, he leads him out again. 
and kind of has this personal exchange with a guy. Brings our mind back to the idea that Jesus' restoration is not like a blanket restoration. It's incredibly personal, incredibly individually based, uh, based on not our merit, but based on the goodness of God. But it's one person at a time, even though we're the bride of Christ. But either way, leads him out of town. And so after he leads him out of town, he does, he does a couple things. Like personally, intentionally, um, he, he spit in the guy's eyes. The spit, again, like crazy, again, no, COVID wasn't there, okay? Nobody would, you know, shine a red flag in his face and be like, do you not know? They wouldn't do that. And again, spit wasn't quite viewed the way it was for us. Like spit, if it was from a royal person, it was highly valuable. Like, and apparently people right now, they weren't really offended by it, but that's the way that Jesus does it. And what we looked at a few weeks ago is like, I, I don't know how much more personal you could interact with somebody than a few weeks ago. He, he licked his thumb, basically, and touched the guy's tongue. But in this case, like, the guy is blind, and, and he puts spit in his eyes. Now, normally, that would be gross, and it would be crazy. But in this case, it's Jesus one-on-one -on -one with this guy, pulls him to the side, and, and he's approaching him personally with what's going on right there in his in his space. He also takes him out of the city because there's this recurring theme in the book of Mark, and Mark makes sure to mention of it, like pretty much every time, with the exception of the guy with the legion of demons in him, every time he charges him, he's like, look, what I've done with you, I want you to keep it quiet, okay? Uh, I don't want you to talk about it a whole lot. Like, I just want you to keep it to yourself. Did they? Most of the time, no, but either way, that's what he charges him. Brings them outside the city, one-on-one, -on -one, very personal, and at the end of it, which we already read, he says, look, I don't even want you to go back to your town. Like, I want you to keep it quiet. One reason for this probably is the fact that Jesus knew he had a lot to do before the cross. And if a ton of people uh, were coming after him all the time, it would probably be very difficult to do the things that he needed to do. I don't know. But either way, Mark continues uh, to drive this point home of, like, not secrecy, but just like, let's just keep it, let's just keep it as quiet as we can for the next little while. So he leads him out personally, intentionally. And then, again, he spits in his eyes, and uh, very, very personal, very unexpected, not the way probably that his friends thought that Jesus would heal him, but that's the way that he did. And, and I think just kind of a quick point for us, like another side mini-sermon, like I think if we look back at the ways in which Jesus has restored us, Jesus has brought us to a place that, that we are more whole than we've ever been, he probably did it in some very unexpected ways, through unexpected people, unexpected avenues, no different here. You know, so when we look at it, we're just like, look, Jesus, he's Lord of everything. You know, he's Lord of equipment, no equipment. He's Lord of touching. He's Lord of not. He's Lord of, Lord of all of these ways, these means of restoration. And in this case, in this time with this man, he's spitting his eyes. He's spitting his eyes. But here comes the camel, okay, the camel in the room. Um, very different. Such an anomaly. Like, I love, I love the book of Mark for several reasons. Number one, like I've said, it's like the Michael Bay of the Gospels, okay? Uh, the most action that we're going to find, it's going to be in the book of Mark. And there are also some anatomical oddities in the book of Mark, some things that are anomalies that are not found in other, the other Gospels. This is one of those. And in this place, it's really interesting. Because in this place, Jesus spits in his eyes, okay? And then he asks him a question. He says, can you see? Can you see? And, and what's the guy say? The guy says, yes, I, I can see people that kind of look like trees. Which means basically like, I, I can see but I can't see great. Like, I can't see like my left eye. I see like the PRK eye. Like, yeah, 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 I, I see, but it's, it's not super, super clear just yet. That's interesting. Like, we haven't seen that. And so we haven't seen the fact that uh, Jesus does something, and it's not, not yet to its fullest. And so a lot of people, they're going to instantly jump on this passage, and we'll come to it in a minute. They're going to jump on this passage, and they're like, well, Jesus kind of screwed up a little bit there. He kind of made a mistake. 
And so that's kind of the camera. Like, what, what happened here? What was that? And so after that, after this, he, he did that. He, had, he spit on him. He laid his, laid his hands on him. He's like, can you see? And he's like, I can see okay, but they, they kind of look like trees. And so it says right after that, um, he looked up and he said, then Jesus laid his hands on him and his eyes again, and he opened his eyes and his sight was fully restored. Fully restored. And he saw everything clearly. So he touched him once, spit on his eyes once, and the guy could see, but everybody looked like broccoli. And then he, he touched him, because that's what I think broccoli looks like. I think it looks like trees. But either way, I think even when we were teaching our kids to eat it, we were like, hey, eat some trees. But um, that's probably why they don't like broccoli. Liza likes the stalks, but she doesn't like the tops. You do? Okay, that's good. Sorry, I don't know my kids at all. But either way, like he touches him a second time, and his sight is like fully restored. He can see everything perfectly clear, really, really good, fully restored. And then, again, he tells him at the end of it, he's like, now... Now that we've done this, don't go back to the village. Don't go back to the village. Basically, the implication is there is just, hey, let's just, let's just keep this quiet for as long as we can. Very intimate, very relational, very personal, and then he kind of wants to keep it that way. Keep it that way. And so all of these things, like thinking through all of the miracles that we had seen of Jesus, like if we start in Mark chapter 1, we had, we had an unclean, spir unclean spirit, like a demon, right away, and Jesus gets rid of it entirely. Right away. Okay, we go, from, we go from Mark 1, we go to Mark 2. There's the paralytic. His friends bring him. They lower him through the roof. And Jesus looks at him. He's like, your faith has made you well. Get up. Take your mat. Go. You know, go. He gets up and he goes. He, man, he ticks off some religious people that day. It's awesome. And there's also a hole in the roof, which I think is awesome. And so he does that. We go to Mark chapter 3. There's a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath in the temple. And, and he, he says, hey, stretch out your hand. Bam, he stretches out his hand, ticks people off again, the religious people, not the other people. Really great. We go to Mark chapter 4. There's a storm. The disciples are freaking out. Jesus is taking a nap. And, and what, does he do? what does he do? He doesn't just calm the waves. He doesn't just calm the wind. No, no, no. He calms all of it. He's like, peace, be still. And everything shuts its mouth in nature. He's got control over that. Doesn't just calm part of it. Does it all. And then we go from, to Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, we've got a man that's inhabited by a legion of demons. A legion. And he's scaring people to death. He's living in a graveyard. He's breaking chains. And when Jesus sets him free, he doesn't just set him free of a garrison. He sets him free of the entire legion. Does it entirely. And then continuing in Mark 5, we've got a bleeding woman who touches the hem of Jesus' garment. And, and she says, because if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made well. Even though she risked her very life weaving in and out of the crowd, touching so many pharisaical people, making them unclean, and they would have had every right to take her outside the city walls, drop her in a hole, drop rocks on her until she was dead. She knew she just had to touch the hem of Jesus' garment, and she'll be made well. And she was. And he called her daughter. First time in 12 years that anybody said your mind. But anyway, I'm not going to camp out there. And then in that same chapter, there was Jairus' daughter. And by the way, that woman was healed entirely and given peace and said, go your way. And then there was Jairus' daughter. Same chapter, same place. And she was dead. And Jesus didn't just kind of bring her back to a little bit of life. No, he brought her back to the fullness of life to the point that she was a 12-year-old. And she got up and she walked around. Interesting commentary from Mark. And he told his parents, give her something to eat. Because apparently she was pasty. Give her some food. She's been dead. Jesus made her completely alive. And then from there, we see Jesus feeding the multitude in chapter 6 and chapter 8, taking a little bit of fish, taking a little bit of bread, and, 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 and replicating it to the point that everybody was satisfied. They were as full as I was at the pastor's house last night after eating ribs and homemade sausage and, and burnt ends and pulled pork and baked macaroni, all of those things. That was the same feeling they, they had. They left, and they were like, oh, man, I need a food coma. 
That's what he did. Chapter 6 and chapter 8. Somewhere in between there, Jesus walked on water, not on stumps, not on shallow water, like on the top of the water, reminding the disciples that I am near you. There is nothing you need that I don't have. And he got in the boat and he brought peace. Then in Mark chapter 7, again, he heals a woman's daughter from afar. He doesn't even touch her, doesn't even see her, just with the words of his mouth. His words get on the interstate and go and heal a girl entirely. And then, just what we saw from just, just two weeks ago, we, we see the fact that Jesus took a man that was mute, and he was deaf, and Jesus, in miraculous fashion, fixed both. So the camel in the room is like, why is it that in this case, in this place, in this time, Jesus didn't fix him right away? Well, here's where I'm going to land the majority of the time in the Gospels. It's because his disciples were there. It's because his disciples were there, and it's because we're reading, and now we are following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, on mission with Jesus. We, too, are disciples of Jesus. And I don't necessarily think it was just for the man, but I think it was for the onlookers. Because even though he pulled, them, pulled the man to the side, his disciples, his followers, they were like puppies at his feet in a good way. They were probably right there. At least they heard the stories. And we're reading it now. Like, I think it's incredibly vital for us to understand that Jesus didn't make a mistake here. He didn't err here. He wasn't running low on grace that, uh, so, so much to the fact that he touched a guy and he couldn't heal him completely. I think it's in very important, and I think it's very intentional. And this is what I think we see with this. I think we need to understand and we need to latch on to this. And we can look at it anecdotally in our life, but we can understand that uh, Jesus redeems us fully at our salvation. Like fully, entirely. There's no more saved than we can be at the moment of covenant relationship with Jesus. But our sanctification, on the other hand, it can take time. Like our sanctification literally means us being made into the image of Christ, being set apart from the rest of creation, being changed one degree to another from glory to glory, as Paul would write. And our sanctification sometimes can take time. Take time. Like anecdotally, if you look back at your life, if you look back, for those of you who have been following Jesus for a year, two years, three years, uh, five years, 20 years, hopefully you can look back and you can say, man, I see Jesus far more clearly now than I did then. At the moment of my salvation, Jesus, you, you did. Like your path, your mission, your desire, yeah, it looked like a lump of broccoli. But now I see more. I see you. Like for us, I think we need to understand that, that not just the way that we see Jesus, but the way that we see ourselves, our identity in Christ. Hopefully by now, if we've been following Jesus for a bit, for a while now, six weeks, six months, six years, 60 years, hopefully we look back and we see ourselves quite differently now. And this is the act, this is the work, this is the, the motif of sanctification, that Jesus is changing us one degree unto another. He has changed our identity from sinner to saint. He's done that, but now he is in the process of making us more saintly. And I think his disciples need to see that. Do you know why I think they need to see that? Do you know my evidence? The very last question he asked him last week. Do you still not understand? These disciples, they've been called out of obscurity. They have been called out of, they have been called out of being fishermen, tax collectors, all other places. Their, their vocation to a degree that they weren't being paid for had changed. Their identity had changed. Their mission had changed. In some senses, their, even their names were being called differently now. Like they were completely different. There's no arguing in that, but they were not there yet. They had not landed yet. And they had been following Jesus intensely 
and personally for one to two and a half years at this point. They've been following him hard. And they, they got on a boat and they worried about what they were going to eat when the bread of life was sitting right beside them. Do you not yet understand? And so for us, like we look at this, and yeah, we, we want to ask and we, we want to think with a liberal theological mind of Jesus, you must have made a mistake. Your incantation didn't work. Not the case at all. Look at all the things that he's already done. All the things that we already listed, starting from the very first chapter. That's the reason Mark is so awesome, because every chapter, in Jesus' power, his authority, his very godhood is on display. He's not hiding it at all. In every chapter, he's restored. He's healed completely. But in this chapter, why does he do what he did? Because his disciples and us, we needed to understand. Yes, entirely saved. Entirely redeemed. My debt has been entirely canceled and paid for. But man, as far as looking like Jesus, I'm not there yet. There are some parts. Yeah. But there are other parts. Man, still a work in progress. Now, for us, this can do two different things. Number one, um, it can give us liberty to live however we want. We can be like, yeah, well, that's okay. I'm not there yet. I can do whatever I want. Or, or it can make us celebrate the things that God has changed in us already, the changes that he has brought forth through the redeeming work of his spirit that is now in us, the, the sanctifying work of his will and his power and his authority that is his own display in our lives, and, and then we can say, thank you, God. So instead of going out and living like the world because we have liberty to do whatever we want, uh, we look at it and we're like, God, thank you. Thank you that I can see far more clearly now than I did five years ago. Thank you, God, that as a result of your salvation and your work in me through the spirit of yourself, thank you, God, that I can see far more clearly who you want me to be who you want me to love, who you want me to serve, how you want me to affect the lives of my neighbor, who you want me to bring to you because they can't see, who you want me to pray for every single day because they don't yet know you, who you want me to invite into my life to share coffee and share my story with, who is that? Thank you that I can see that far more clearly than I could when I was an infant believer. Like we talk about the life of a disciple is going from infant to child to young adult to parent. Like when, we're, when we come to Christ, most of us, we're just babies. We're babies. We think everything's about us. We think the church service that we choose is about us. We think the programs that the church has is about us. We think that everybody exists to meet my needs. And if you're an infant, to be honest, someone does need to feed you. Someone does need to take care of you. Someone does need to metaphorically change your diaper. Yeah, as an infant, but we grow from infant into child. And as a child, we understand, you know what? My parents don't exist to feed me every day. They don't exist to take care of every need that I have. They have a life of their own. I can actually put a hot dog in the microwave and cook it for myself. Things like that. I can actually verbalize the things that I'm thinking as a child. And then we go from child to like young adult and we realize, man, God, uh, you've actually given me responsibility and a story to tell. I have a mouth to tell it. I have a mission that you've placed me on. That is your mission, and you've asked me to do it. Like the sanctifying work of Jesus is like, yes, when we come to him, we can't see all these things clearly. We don't know what the will, the power, and the direction of God is. But if we're trusting our lives to him, if we're trusting him with the spit and with his touch, we can understand that at some point we will. We will. And that comes through his work, our agreeance, but our participation. Like this guy, this guy right here, after he could only see broccoli, 
he could have turned and ran away. Like he had that option. He could have been so irritated. He's like, my friends brought me from my house in Timbuktu and you spit on me and I can only see trees and they're people. Like he could have gotten so upset and he could have just run. But he stuck around. He stayed. He stayed. And he actually listened to the voice of Jesus and stayed to see what he would do. Like that's our part. Like that, that, is, that is in the most simple and beautiful nutshell. That's our part. We stick around. We listen to the voice of Jesus. And when he asks us a question, we answer. And we do what he asks. And as a result of that, guess what happens? We don't just see trees anymore, but we see him at his fullest with great clarity in 1080p. Maybe there's something better than 1080p now. I don't know. I'm old. But that's what he does. He grows us from little infants. Can't do anything on our own. To children who can do a little more and say a little more. To young adults who can do more, say more, be released, and actually begin to think like a parent, someone who reproduces new believers. The be fruitful and multiply idea, that's carried over into the New Testament. And it's not just talking about people getting married and reproducing children that way, but it's also talking about uh, the message that has been entrusted to us through the gospel. We actually give it to someone else, allow God to do with that what he will, and see new people added to the kingdom become an infant and a child and a young adult and a parent. That's how the kingdom grows. It grows through, in the beginning, I couldn't see not very well. I can see light, which I couldn't do before. Now I can see you far more clearly. I can see your path more clearly. I can see your purpose more clearly. I can see your mission more clearly. Sanctification. And so for us, I think, like in light of that, here's, here's what we do. Number one, uh, we celebrate those changes incredibly well. Like, I've said it before. Like, the American church, I'm grateful that I, I grew up here. I'm grateful that I was exposed to the gospel early. I'm grateful that I have a gospel heritage that I would not have had anywhere else. But here's a couple things that we've learned in the American church that we need to unlearn. We stink at celebrating the changes of God. We stink at it. We just think they're supposed to happen, and when they happen, our response is, hey, take a seat. That's great. No. No, we've got to celebrate when Jesus grows us from barely being able to see him, but we see him, but not well to when we can see him clearly. We need to celebrate it well. The very first way that we do that is on an individual basis. We remember what God's done. We see the changes that he has wrought, and we just say three words. Thank you, God. That's it. Thank you, God, that I'm not blind as a bat anymore. Thank you, God, for performing spiritual LASIK on me. Thank you, God, that I can actually see the things that you want me to do, the people that you want me to love, the way that you want me to love them, and the rate at which I need to do it. Thank you, God, for that. So we look back, we see the changes, and we say, thank you, Jesus. We say, thank you, Jesus, because it's through him, by him, and for him that this has occurred. So we thank you. The second thing that we need to do with this is we don't just stop there. We look at where we currently are, and we look at the things that yet we are still struggling to see. The disciples, do you not yet understand? We need to be able to unequivocally answer that question and say, Jesus, yes, there are some things that I still do not understand. Help me. Help me. So we celebrate the changes that he's wrought, but then we, we bring into our prayers, we bring into the ways that we're following after Jesus, and we say, hey, I'm not there yet. But I would like to be. Can you, in whatever crazy way that you choose, whether it's through spit, whether it's through another individual, whether it's through my own quiet time, whether it's through that still small voice that you deal with me when I'm driving for hours at a time, whatever that may be, could you change me? 
could you change me? And we do that with the expectation that he can and he will and he wants to. Because I think the beautiful thing that we see about this Heavenly Father that we have been brought into a relationship with that sin cut us off from is he's a God that loves us exactly how we are, but he loves us enough not to leave us there. And so we need to be willing not only to celebrate what he's done, not only to ask for more, uh, but have the expectation that he'll do it and be open to be changed. Because I think the hardest part of being changed is sometimes Jesus is going to change us into something that we may not like. And you say, well, what do you mean on that, Daryl? My name's not Daryl. My name's Matthew. But what I mean by that is that there are going to be some things that we hold dear that we think are right and true and good, whether determined by culture, whether determined by my sinfulness, whether determined by a preconceived notion that wasn't based on Scripture at all. And sometimes Jesus is going to say, you need to turn your hand upside down, open it, and let that go. And sometimes that's painful. Sometimes that's painful. Remember last week we talked about some of the voices that are around us. They tell us what soapboxes that we need to stand on, how tall they need to be, and how loud we need to shout. Jesus may even destroy our soapboxes. And sometimes that hurts. Because these were a primary thing to me. And Jesus may be telling us they're not primary. They're okay, and they're important. But they're not me. Maybe you need to let them go. Hey, let me get personal. It may mean bumper stickers come off cars. It may mean flags change. It, it may mean a lot of things that can be incredibly personal, incredibly painful. But if we're basing our ethos on anything other than the very heart of Jesus, it may very well need to change. And that hurts. Celebrate what he's done. Ask him for more. Expect that he'll do it. But when he's ready, take it. Take it. Bumps, scrapes, band-aids, stitches, whatever it brings. Take it. As infants, we can't do that. We're not capable. Even as children, that's really hard. But sometimes Jesus is going to grow us into a place of maturity just so that we can be mature enough to say goodbye to things that we've held on to so tightly. It's a sign of growth. It's a sign of maturity. It's a sign of, God, I'm going to trust your way more than I trust mine. I'm going to trust your positions over mine. I'm going to trust your standard over mine. It's not legalism. It's submission to someone who knows better. Someone who made it. Like if I'm going to, to operate a vacuum cleaner, I'm going to look at the owner's manual because it was written by the person who made the vacuum. Same thing with life. Like if I'm going to look and understand how then should I live my life, I'm going to look at the person who gave it to me, the God who made it, and I'm going to trust him with the instructions. Infants can't do that. They can't read. Children can't do that. So sometimes God has to grow us to a place of maturity enough to where we say, God, you know what? I'm going to trust that your way is better than mine. I'm going to trust that you know better. And I'll run with that. But then I think there's something else that's sitting in there too. Like, yes, we need to trust the changes and celebrate the changes that he's made in our life. But in reference to the one another's, we've got to do it with the one another's too. And instead of looking at someone that is spiritually immature and automatically thinking, wow, what is wrong with you? We need to look at them and say, you know what? 
God can change you. God can grow you. And I'm going to expect to such a degree that he will that I'm going to pray for it on your behalf. Because sometimes the most beautiful thing about being in this, this eclectic blend of the most diverse group of white people that I've ever seen uh, within this church of origins is that we have to understand that so many people, yes, while following Jesus are at different stages in that. And it's up to us as brothers and sisters to pray them along to maturity and also lead them and guide them along to maturity because they are family now. Not to judge them because they're still an infant. We need to celebrate the fact that they are an infant. They're no longer spiritually dead. And say, thank you, God, for their salvation. Now, God, what can I do? How can I pray to see you grow them from a child, uh, from an infant to a child? The one another's. Just in the same way in which these days brought this guy to Jesus because he was the only one that could fix him, we need to understand the only way that that infant is going to grow is if God does it, but he also asks us to participate. He also asks us to trust him in covenant prayer. He also asks us to trust him in covenant discipleship. He also asks him to trust him as we push them, pull them, coach them, do whatever trendy word we want to do. Share the life experience that we have that God has given me so that I can give it to someone else. With the one another. He did it for me. He did it for you. He's doing it for both of us. He can do it for others. So what do we do with that? Jesus didn't make a mistake here. He took an opportunity to teach, to guide, to reassure, but also point us to the fact that we can see clearly. It's his job, his power, his authority. He just asked us to listen, to stick around, and trust him with the results. I love the book of Mark. So fun. Um, grateful that you guys are here. Let's pray together. God, we love you. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you, God, for uh, the way that you intentionally deal with us and know exactly what we need to hear, what we need to understand, what we need to perceive so that you may grow us. God, if you, if you brought us all the way to a mature individual at the moment of salvation, what fun would that be? God, thank you for allowing us the opportunity to see growth, allowing us the opportunity to, to seek that growth through prayer and trust in you. And God, thank you for allowing us the opportunity to be changed, to be made different, to be made to look more and more like Jesus. God, I pray that we not only trust our journey with you, God, but we trust the journey of others. We, we pray for them uh, to you, God, that you would grow them, that you would change them, that you would shape them. And God, we do it with great expectation. Thank you for uh, allowing us to actually be involved and immersed in other people's lives and to where you just didn't make a bunch of strangers who meet together once a week. That wouldn't be fun either. Thank you, God, for Jesus. Thank you for his teaching. Thank you for his work. And thank you for salvation that we can know through him. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Zach's going to come up and give us some kind of parting announcements and where we need to go and what we need to do. Um, and obviously, if you would like to help for tear down for two minutes, we could be done and out of here today. So thank you guys so much for being here today.